guys, and welcome to Waiting in the Wings with me, Lucy. And Anthony. Hello everyone and welcome to the uh, fourth episode of our exciting Waiting in the Wings podcast. So for those of you who are new to this podcast, um, we are two musical lovers who love to talk about everything on the West End. So we have another very, very exciting week this week. Uh, we're talking about another amazing show. Um, and we also have another special guest joining us. So this week we have the fantastic Molly Austin joining us. Say hello, listeners. Hello. How are you, Molly? I'm good, thank you. Have you had a lovely week so far? I've had a lovely week. We're only recording this on a Tuesday, so it's only been two days. Um, So first of all, Molly, chat to us a little bit about um, how you got into theatre and what you kind of do with theatre now, how you're kind of involved. Okay, Um, so I've been in theatre since I was about five, um, just through drama schools at home, like uh, community drama, things like that. And then um, when I went to university, I was part of the Musical Theatre Society, um, part of their shows and on their committee. Um, I don't work in theatre now. I'm very much not working in theatre. I work in the charity sector. Um, But I am a co-founder of a not-for-profit that is working for mental health action within the arts specifically um, with my wonderful friend, Jessie Hayes, um, and that's called Performers in Mind. So chat to us, yeah, a little bit about what this fantastic organisation does and some of the like events that you've you've held over the past couple of years. So we've held a couple of fundraisers um, and we've funded um, some wellbeing workshops to be run within performing arts schools, um, drama schools. Um, and we're currently funding for about 12 uh, faculty members from the, the main drama schools and dance colleges to do a mental health first aid course. Um, so we just recognise that there are specific mental health difficulties within the arts. Um, and the arts industry is very much an environment where you can't discuss any mental health. And it's definitely seen as a weakness. Um, and it's seen as potentially a black mark on you. Um So yeah, so we're kind of campaigning for action within the arts for it to become more acceptable, for the treatment of mental health to be better and for the support to be better as well. Yeah, such a fantastic organisation. And we're very, very excited to have you on the podcast this week. Thank you, I'm excited. So we are going to be starting off this exciting podcast, Molly, with the uh, one minute news roundup. So Lucy Carruthers over here has one minute to sum up all the news that has been going on since we last spoke. So Lucy, take it away. So the What's On Stage Awards happened this week with winners including Rachel Tucker, Sam Tutti, Miriam Lee Teak, Jack Loxton winning acting awards and then also we have Come From Away, Mary Poppins, Falsetto and The Colour Purple winning production awards. Giles uh, Terrera has been announced to be starring in Sammy Davis Jr. a musical about the titled singer at the Lyric, the Lyric Hammersmith. Lots of extensions announced including Prince of Egypt, Be More Chill, Tina, Six and Come From Away. Pretty Woman had their press night um, and has opened and it'll be interesting to see Amy Atkinson take on a very different role from her role originating in Six the Musical as Catherine Howard. There is rumours that Spring Awakening will be returning to the West End, interestingly at the Almeida from July to August 2020, and Six has now opened on Broadway. Lucy Moss has been hailed as the youngest ever female director, and they have just announced, they've just recently accepted their BBC Radio 2 Audience Award for Best Musical. Wow. You did that in such good timing. I didn't, I didn't think you were going to do it, I'm not going to lie, but you did. Fantastic. So, we are going to be starting to chat about our musical of the week. So, this week we are talking about the behemoth, the (laughs) goliath, the spectacular that is the one and only 
Les Miserables. Uh, <laughs> what are you going to say? Joseph. <laughs> Joseph, yeah. Okay. So just a reminder that we will be talking about spoilers in the show. So we will say spoilers just ahead so you know it's coming. Just remember that these are our own opinions. Um, so if you want to make your own opinions about the show, go see it. Um, so yeah, a little bit of facts and figures about uh, Les Miserables now. This show has had quite the history, uh, both in the West End and Broadway. So obviously, uh, for those of you that don't know, it was based on the uh, book by Victor Hugo, which in itself is quite a large (laughs) story. I think I remember seeing the book and it being literally like, um, I don't even, it's massive, the book. It's huge. Um, But yeah, so it opened first at the Barbican Centre, bizarrely, um, in 19 October 1985, um, before it then transferred to the Palace Theatre, which is currently housing um, Harry Potter, Mm. um, in December 1985. So it did a quick transfer over there, obviously because it had such great success. Um, And then it finally um, switched over to the Queen's Theatre, which it's currently in at the moment, in April 2004. Then in July 2019, so we skipped on about 15 years, um, it moved over to the Gilgood Theatre for a concertized version because they were refurbing it mm-hmm. uh, and also changing the name to the Sondheim Theatre. Interesting fact yep. of the day. Um, and it's currently the longest uh, running musical on the West End. It's not the longest running production. That is still The Mousetrap, but is the longest running musical on the West End. Uh, and also had a 10th and 25th anniversary and an all-star production. Now, my challenge of the day, guys, for both oh of you. No. Can you name three people that starred in each of those concerts? It's going to be mine. Individually. In each individual concert. So in the 10th concert, who was... Can anyone... This is your trivia of the day. I know the name 25th. Th- name the 10th concert. So the 10th would have been, what, 15 years ago? Uh, yeah, over 15 years ago. Okay. Oh, God. Old Leah people. Leah Salonga. Leah Salonga, yep, as Eponine. Yep. It wasn't Alfie Bow, was it? Nope, not Alfie Bow. Michael Ball Michael as Marius. Ball. That's what Ball. I was Can anyone remember who played Fontaine? Wait, Hightley Phone? No, oh no, she originated the role. Uh, it was Ruthie Henschel. Oh. Anyone know Ruthie Henschel? Yeah. Uh, 25th. Come on. Nick Jonas. Nick Jonas, the Harry iconic Nick Jonas. Was it 25th or was it 20th? Uh, 25th. Oh, she's going to fact check me. Uh, yeah, we had Nick Jonas as Marius. Can you name was any it, others? Um, you you have one before? Epi- Carrie Hope Fletcher? No, 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 not Carrie Hope Fletcher. Alfie Bow. Alfie Bow, yeah. Wasn't it um, the girl who played Eponine in the film? Yeah, remember the Samantha name? Samantha. Samantha Bucks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then all, correct. Um, all Star Version, you had one? Carrie Hope Fletcher. Carrie Hope Fletcher, yep. Nick Jonas? No, Wait, not Nick Jonas. Wait, is this the Gilgood one? This is the one at Gilgood. Oh, um, uh, mm, 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 mm. <laughs> um, what's his name, Matt Lucas? Matt Lucas from Little, a little uh, Britain yeah, as Tenardier. Um, I do know him. Uh, the one from the 10th anniversary, he came back. Michael Ball. Yeah, he did, yeah, fantastic. Uh, wonderful, yeah, so, uh, it's paper. had quite an, a, quite a long history on the West End. Um, it also opened on Broadway uh, because of its amazing success, success over here in March 1987, lasting until uh, 1990 to when it then again also moved to another theatre and lasted until 2003. It was then revived three years later. This is a revival. <laughs> it was revived three years lives, later uh, in 2006 and then closed in 2008, which was then further revived another six years later in 2014 and then closed again in 2016. So- that's why so many people say yeah. in the West End. I always thought that there was a production also in Broadway. So I always got really confused why people would specifically come see yeah. Les Mis. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not there anymore. Um, it also won one Olivier for Best Supporting Actress. Can anyone name the actress? Lucy, you have just said it. She originated the role of Fontaine. Patty Lapone. Yeah, Patty Lapone, fantastic. 
Um, and then when it uh, went to Broadway, it won Best Musical, Best Original Score, Best Featured Actor, Damn. Best Actress, Best Direction, Best Scenic Design, and Best Lighting Design at the Tonys. So obviously did a lot better over in the States. Um, so we always do this first. Let's chat about our theatrical experience. <laughs> so Molly, let, let's you start with this. Give Can us a little uh, opinion of just the actual theatre itself. Okay, uh, especially as it's just been refurbed. Um, the theatre itself is very big. Um, so I was very far away from the stage. Um, the toilets, be swanky, lovely refurb, loved them. Um, yeah, I, I was literally the very back, um, of the upper circle. I think I was like G or something. Um, I was very far away. I still paid quite a significant amount for my Mm -hmm. ticket. Um, Mm -hmm. even though I could only just make out who was on stage at the time. And I think because it is a big, sorry, a big production, they it it kind of does get maybe just about get away with it there's a lot of performers on stage but then for the more intimate moments i really did feel like i lost a lot of the atmosphere a lot of the emotion i couldn't really see the actors faces um and for me with a show like this that is a real big element of it um and considering what i paid for my ticket i did feel a little bit begrudged by that can I also say a little pu- public service announcement? Of course you can, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Please don't go to theatre and snog your way through it. It's very annoying. Wait, that's what me and Lucy did. <laughs> <laughs> snog your way through it and also sing along. Like, I have not paid it's, to yeah. listen to you snog and sing along to bring him home. If you want kinky karaoke, go home, put the film on, snog and sing along at home. Yeah. Plus, FYI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so kind of carrying on from you there, Molly. So this is the most expensive show that we've paid yeah. tickets for on our podcast, As and this is including season one. So this yeah. is 14 shows now we've been to see. Uh, and I have to say, I don't think I've been more disappointed no. by the amount of price to what I've experienced. Now, I've been to see a lot of theatre and have sat in a lot of restricted view seats in my time. Um, and when they say restricted, okay, yes, you're not promised yeah. anything amazing, but you can still see the majority of what's happening. Usually it's like restricted. You can't see like maybe like yeah. the upper level if they're or doing right, like a three right to the bottom, yeah. yeah. Or maybe there's some projections that are on the side that you might miss. Yeah. But like solely the action that's happening on stage. The story. S- the story, you can see that. Um, and basically for the whole first act, I pretty much just listened to the soundtrack of Les Mis because I absolutely couldn't see anything. Yeah. Um, I personally feel for that amount of price, it really isn't something that's very acceptable. No. Um, like, it's fine for me because I get to experience a lot of theatre, but I always think for those people that come, maybe as a family, who've yeah. spent four times the amount that I've done because there's obviously more of them, um, who don't really see a lot of theatre, go to see Les Mis because they know it's probably one of the, the best, biggest shows on the West End. To then have that experience, mm-hmm. I am not surprised why people don't ever come back to yeah, the theatre, you I know? Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and Lame is is not a show <laughs> that is lacking in money. No. I mean, I don't know how much it, it how much it has, but you have a refurb. This is a great yeah, opportunity yeah. to kind of make, possibly take some seats away that have that yeah. real restricted. I mean, if it wasn't for me and Lucy moving up one seat in the interval, I probably wouldn't have come back in the second act. Because also, you're paying that. Like for me, I kind of paid my ticket and thought, well, my view can't be that restricted because I'm still paying a significant amount of money. If yeah. I'd paid that for any other show, I I think like you, I probably wouldn't have stayed for the second act because the fact that I knew the story and I knew the soundtrack and I knew what 
emotions the actors were supposed to be exactly, portraying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could still enjoy it to a certain extent. But if I didn't know the story and I didn't know what emotions were supposed to be being told, I would have really struggled and it would have been really hard to connect to it, definitely. I mean, Cameron Mackintosh Theatre is a very lovely theatre, I have mm. to admit. Like, I think when you go into that, it's it's beautiful. Um, They're always clean. Yeah, yeah, always really clean. Really and clean. the staff the staff are really, yeah. really helpful and really, really friendly. And the prices of drinks and programmes aren't awful. I just felt in this instance that I was just so disappointed mm. by the view that it really sort of ruined that first act for me. Like, the difference yeah. that I will explain in the first act later when we go into the podcast is so vastly different, simply because of just those seats. And also, I found that because, uh, I, I mean, the audiences that Les Mis attracts in now aren't people that go to the theatre regularly. No. So you get a lot of distractions around you as it is anyways, and a lot of tourists, so there's mm. a lot of different language speakers, so you're they're translating themselves, which is Snuggers. fair enough, but... <laughs> but yeah, but it's it's very distracting. Also, a lot of people leaning forward, so it yeah. it distract it. it um, what's the word? Disconnects Dis- you. Yeah, completely. even more. Like, I can't. Yeah. I literally yeah. can't see. And these tickets apparently have a sort of asterisk where it says designed for you to lean forward, but that doesn't help if everyone no. else is leaning forward. You know, so I don't. And know. also, that's it's a long show. Like, I'm sorry, I don't want to lean forward for the whole show. It's mm. so uncomfortable. And then you're disconnected because you're thinking, I'm really uncomfortable. Yeah. You don't go to the theater to have that kind of experience you go to be absorbed by what you're seeing on stage and it's really hard to have that when all those other elements like you said come into play yeah it's so interesting as well the fact that this theater was redesigned in terms of like staging on the set the apollo victoria where wicked is when you immediately walk into that theater you're completely immersed in this kind of like green wonderland the set comes all Mm -hmm. the way out the stage and like the atmosphere in that theatre is very magical, I feel, with the fact that there's, like, green seats and there's green pretty mm. much everywhere. And I was expecting a bit more of the Les Mis world to be with it, invade yeah, exactly. the yeah. theatre. But I know, obviously, the these productions aren't going to be around forever. Les Mis, well, I mean, it might. But <laughs> no, I was going to say, it already has been. <laughs> but it, mo- it might only run for the next five, next maybe next ten years, and they might have a new production in. But surely, if... The trajectory is to have it on for the next five, yeah. ten years. You would have thought that the set would have invaded the auditorium, yeah. so you were feeling that atmosphere, even if you couldn't necessarily see what was happening in the far right corner or the yeah. far left corner. I just felt that it was such like this is where the audience stops, and then suddenly there's this yeah, piece of set that like kind of comes out, like more of a touring production than yeah. than a um, a permanent position on the West End. Yeah. All right, let's talk about uh, some of the positives of the show then. So um, this show is still, it's an incredible show. Yeah. Um, I think more in an epic sense Mm -hmm. than a story sense. I mean, even the story's pretty epic, but I can't fault Les Mis for always kind of making me go, wow, musical theatre is really freaking cool. Um, uh, I saw the production about... 15 years ago I think um, and I remember that being one of the most incredible things I've ever seen mm-hmm. in my entire yeah, life um, and I always think that it has that very grand element including this production now um, that will always make people go this is what mm-hmm. this is what the West End is and I think because it's such an iconic pinpoint of the West End and will always be like it yeah. is really like our show that we we have in it's not like Broadway have it, it this is ours you know yeah. mm. um, and I think it's always nice to see it being alive and thriving in this sort of community you know uh i thought that um the lighting was fabulous very atmospheric at Mm -hmm. times and Mm -hmm. interesting and different 
Um, but I think overall it's hard for me because I have seen the original production before and because of my seating that I can't really pull out a lot of things that I think are outstandingly positive about this show. Yeah. I just thought it was what it was, you mm-hmm. know? Like, you can't... I didn't get anything that I was like, oh, you've given me something different or anything that... Well, actually, no, there were a couple of things that didn't stand out for the for the wrong reasons. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. for me, it is, like, like you said, it's musical theatre at its best and the music is so emotive and it's so beautiful. And like you, I saw it a long time ago on a school trip, I think, and it was probably the first time that theatre really overwhelmed me and I just thought it was the most phenomenal thing I've ever seen and I felt all of these things so yes I did feel all of those things this time I watched it but because I was kind of so excited to feel that again and be blown away and I knew the power that the musical has I don't know whether if it was my seat whether it was the fact that there was two people snogging next to me I don't know what it was but I it's a phenomenal show, there is no doubt about it, and, and the performers were brilliant, but I just didn't quite get the same, that same awe. I wasn't yeah, in yeah, awe yeah. of it like I was the first time I saw it. And that oomph, that, like, oh yeah, my, that, that punch like, in the chest. Yeah, like, when oh the sound hits you and you just feel all of those emotions that, you're, that they want you to feel just flood out of you. Like, I kind of went thinking... I'm going to go in, I'm going to have a really good cry, and I'm going to come out, and I'm just going to feel elated, and I... I, I didn't leave feeling that. And I yeah. don't know whether that was my seat, whether it was the people next to me, because that did really kind of distract me and disconnect me, or I don't know. I don't know what it was. It was phenomenal. Like, there's no doubt about it. It was a brilliant show. It is a brilliant show. There was just something. Maybe, maybe it's lost its essence. I don't know. Maybe it's us yeah. as old people now that maybe it's maybe, just not. Maybe, yeah, maybe. It's not because we've seen it. We've seen it been done. We've, yeah. and, and honestly, there are better things on at the West End in the minute that yeah. I now compare things and whereas Les Mis probably I always yeah. thought was the best thing, I was slightly underwhelmed. Not maybe, not maybe yeah. because of my own my own thoughts. Um, has anyone got any opinions of the casting this time? Because it's got a very, I mean, it's a very strong casting yeah. from from credit sense. Um, for any particular standouts, I do like how there's a lot of West End debuts in Les Mis mm-hmm. and shows like Les Mis and like Mamma Mia. I think they're really great f- to see graduates on the yeah. on the. Uh, uh, in the program, just because it's nice to see that they're not just casting yeah, the, the name stars or the West yeah. End Wendy's, you know, mm-hmm. the ones that have been around the block for a while. It is nice to sh- to see that newcomers can break into the industry in these massive staple shows. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of members of the ensemble that have like literally last year recently graduated. So yeah. it's, it's yeah. a nice tool for that. And Lamez is very well known for really starting the career of many, many musical yeah. theatre people. I mean, uh, Rob Houchin, who is one of the biggest musical theatre stars, started off as a Marius. So, you know, like they are good in the sense that they really push for getting people in and out there, you know. Yeah. Um, what about any negatives? In terms of casting? Yep. Um, sometimes with musical theatre shows, for example, the, the choice of casting someone like Carrie Hope Fletcher, because I've li- recently seen her in a production of Heathers where her mm. playing age was very young, high school student, that kind of thing. Yeah. It is hard because she is a massive name and also yeah. massive presence in terms of like contemporary musical theatre and the age of so the influence of social media mm-hmm. yeah. in musical theatre and how her online presence has really grown the fandom of Heathers and all that kind of like you just associate her with like yeah. this young fandom yeah, yeah, yeah. social media like women in theatre that kind of thing Wednesday Adams well, yeah, Veronica like, Sawyer you know yeah, that very sort very like yeah. strong 
empowered females and I'm not saying that the role of Fontaine isn't a strong empowered female I mean she literally gives her life for her daughter but seeing her play a role that is obviously usually usually played by a very much older woman Mm -hmm. I was left feeling a bit like oh I don't know if the stakes visually are high enough like are high enough for her like I think overall the stakes just didn't feel yeah that's how I felt that's how I felt um if yeah I think I agree. I think it just felt like this the stakes. I didn't I wasn't kind of like heartbroken by it in mm. a way that maybe I should have been. And let's not fault their vocals. Everyone's oh my God, vocals no. like phenomenal. I, mean, I think phenomenal. I think Lamez can really boast itself as being a vocally uh, like unparalleled show. Like they have some yeah. of the most incredible voices on that stage. Um and you never doubt that it's not sung live. Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. For some shows, I feel like you can definitely think, mm, that might have been click-tracked compared to like the amount of sound it makes. Like Some shows, I'm like, I don't understand how eight people are making that much sound. Whereas yeah. this, you knew that it was definitely sung live. Yeah, Yeah, it's just sometimes you feel a sense of disconnect, maybe mm. just because, uh, again, it might be seating, it might, it might yeah, just be... Yeah, it might just be that we were a lot younger, I don't know. But for me, um, Eponine's vocals were... She and her... She is the real goddess of this show, though. You she know, was, like. uh, for, for me, I my seat didn't jeopardise her performance at all. I still felt everything from her, and I felt like her performance was not bigger. I don't know if bigger is the right word, but it reached me at the yeah, back of the theatre. Yeah, I know I agree. I think I agree with you. I know exactly what you mean, yeah. I felt it. I felt her story. Um, I thought she was, yeah, she stood out for me in terms of she reached me at the back of the upper circle in G next to the snoggers um, <laughs> in a way that I don't know if everyone else did. And I, and again, I don't know if that was their performance or if it was just the seating. It's really yeah. hard to know. Yeah. But then if you're charging that much for a show, your seat shouldn't come into it. Yeah, no, I agree. So, um, we are going to be talking a little bit about restaging as this production is in fact a restaging. So quick fun question for the both of you on the spot um, we are all allowed to, uh, we've been told by Cameron McIntosh that we're allowed to restage Les Mis however we want. What is the one thing that you would do in your restaging of Les Mis? I will start oh, you no. off. My restaging of Les Mis, and it's not really a restaging, but a rewriting. <laughs> I'm writing out the part of Cosette. She has gone from my version okay, of Les Mis. I think I agree with you on that one. Yeah, so that's mine. <laughs> so the rewrite, yeah. Did yep. Cameron McIntosh say you could rewrite or restage? However you want. You're allowed to do whatever you want. But Cosette okay. is going. Cosette is gone. You can emit a massive character. Yep. Goodbye. <laughs> Cosette is gone. I don't know. I do feel, uh, we're going to talk about this later on, the issues with Revolve minus the Revolve plus the Revolve plus some minuses of Mm -hmm. the Revolve. But I saw a production of Our Country's Good at the National and they did have a Revolve. But the opening of the show was when a ship emerged from the middle of the stage. Like the mast started coming up through like a trap door and then this entire ship basically like burst onto the Olivier stage. And that opening of that show has always stayed with me. And I remember seeing it thinking, how cool would it be if Mm. Les Mis opened like this? Because obviously it does start on the... And like the masts like... um, and the different parts of the ship, because they had like an underbelly, which is where all the prisoners were, and then like the decks turned into like so many different more things that the masts became like the camp, and they pl- became so many different locations. So maybe mm, that's a what you do. Ship. I like it. I like it. That's what I do. Molly, what was your restaging? Um, my restaging is this. You know, this is an impossible question for me. I'm by no means a director. Um, 
Are we talking about the revolve now, or are we talking about that later? No, 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 no. This is just if okay. you had, you saw the original okay, production, well, I was, okay. and you're allowed to restage it however you want. Underwater. <laughs> <laughs> underwater. They'd the all moon. be underwater. <laughs> They'd be on the moon. Yeah, I don't know. Very modern. Very I'm modern. Very, much, very contemporary. I just want a view. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Uh, Obviously, when we heard that this... Because we had this as our one of our news pieces uh, in yeah, season one. That it was going to be a restaging. Um, when we hear about a restaging, what do we as audiences expect? And what do we want to see? I think is probably the first thing to kind of chat about. So, my expectations of a restaging, I don't think are necessarily correct. Because when <laughs> I hear a restaging, I'm thinking like maybe different costumes, yeah. different set. Maybe a different concept. Different you know? concept. Yeah. Something that's going to... Maybe not change the storyline, but see it through a different lens. Yeah. Because um, I think a lot of really great revivals of the show of shows make you see the show with a different lens. Like, for example, Company, their restaging was gender-bending, so it's yeah. seeing it through a woman's mm-hmm. perspective. And I think that's a really incredible way of retelling the same story, but with through a different lens. So when, you hear, when I hear restaging, I think a considerable difference that's going to make me think of the show in a different way or maybe consider... Some of the issues that it poses in a different throw way. new life into it, yeah. yeah, 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 definitely, I agree. I I don't expect it to be used as a term to get new bums on seats, <laughs> and it be pretty much the same show. <laughs> so why do you why do you feel Lemis needed a restaging now in this time? <laughs> it honestly just feels to me as a bit of a commercial. Yeah, grab I feel. I mean, regardless of whether it's needed a restaging or not, I, I guess I don't know. I don't really, I don't really get why it needs to be restaged in the first place. I mean, if they're not changing anything, no. really, like completely naively looking in, the only thing that was different about it was there was no revolve. Yeah. I so mean, yeah, let's chat a little bit about how it was restaged then. I mean, if it was restaged, there was no on, revolve. Yeah. <laughs> so, in the end of Act One, which is at the end of the day, instead of doing. Forward, forward, back, back. They did. It's not at the end of the day. One day more. One day more. I mean, they're all the same. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, camera. Uh, instead of doing forward, forward, back, back, they just did forward, 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 forward. <laughs> Big change. Amazing. Um, two moments in Act Two are definitely changed. Obviously, because there's no revolve, the barricade doesn't yeah. revolve so you don't see the, icon- the iconic image of Anjol Ras falling down mm-hmm. over the barricade with the flag um, doing in that like he's held yeah. by his ankle and it, I remember seeing that for the first time thinking whoa how is he held by his ankle that must really hurt that's really cool and then you don't see the death of um, Gavroche anymore you just see him like fall backwards mm-hmm. um, but the one difference that I did think was really cool was the way that then they kill the um, the pro- the protesters, students. the students, yeah. with they had like these two spotlights that kind of intersected in the middle as a as a bullet, and yeah. then they died. And I thought that was super I really cool. liked that bit. Very that. very like still naturalistic, yeah. but still like modern. But it wasn't hindering the era in any no. way. Yeah. Not like other modern changes. Yes. E.g. projections yes. that we might talk about later. Yeah, we're definitely going to Oh, yeah. Projections. Was the projections part of the restaging? Uh, I think, yeah. yeah. I was not about the projections. I was... Sorry. I... I, um, I didn't miss the revolve at all. Interesting. No, I actually... Oh, mm, this is going to be an interesting debate, yeah. Well, because I actually really 
liked the way that they staged and Joel Rass being killed and the same with Gavroche I actually thought it was very powerful and I didn't miss the revolve I didn't think that it t- took anything away from it that's nice. very interesting um, and I like you said I really loved the way that they did the lighting so the, as the bullets and yeah I I was really moved by the way that they did and Joel Rass's um, death and I thought I didn't really miss the revolve I, I think my opinion of the revolve more came because I, I, I loved the original staging when I saw it and it really obviously affected me in those moments that you said, Luce. Um, and I think when I heard about the revolve being taken away, I was more intrigued by it and I was interested to see how they were going to restage it. And I think the reason why I chose the revolve over what was restaging now is because I felt disappointed yeah, by, by the whole thing. Because I don't think it hit me as much like the moment with Anjorus. I have mm. to disagree that I thought seeing the... Uh, seeing the barricade spin and him draped over it yeah. with the flag there hit me a lot more, just that imagery of it. Um, and there was another moment I remember in the sewers when he carries Marius um, and the use of having the revolve meant that he was able to walk through the sewers. And I remember they did lights, I think, over the top of him and one light would go on and he'd have ah. him over his shoulder. Then a light would go off and then a light, another light would come on and he'd be carrying him and like on his arms. I and I thought that was just a very clever way because it looked like pothole lights as well, mm. just through the lighting. Whereas now it's projections yeah. to show it. And I just was like lazy. Yeah, I um, I didn't realise that. I don't, I don't remember the revolve in the sewer bit, but I was yeah. not about the sewer. And also here's my interesting fact of the day, which I did also bring up in season one, is that revolve also is a term that's taken from revolution. So literally the reason oh. why they put a, revolu- a revolve in the start because was because it was an idea of the the uh, the yeah, students revolu- re- revolu- revolting. revolting against the wow. higher class and that idea of the... the that is a revolving. good fact. So uh, that whether that's completely true, I don't know, but it's, it sounds cool. So, um, yeah, and I just think because this show has a lot of... A lot of going places, you know, like yeah. I like the idea of that yeah. sort of you get that movement, you know, but yeah. I really enjoyed um, Empty Chairs, Empty Tables, yeah. the new staging with the candles on the oh, floor. Oh, I loved that. Um, they all should have been red, but that's yes. just another point. Um, I love that bit. The, apart from, they all had the candles and the, they were placed by the women. There was like some tiny little details with um, turning, which I really loved, was that all the costumes, although they were black, they were all of different classes so like some of them were in like rags some of them were in like high class it shows that like this protest affected people of all classes it's such an interesting comment to make on society and social commentary but also i was like if you're not a theater goer you would literally miss that because yeah. it was because you're so, so far subtle. away yeah. it was very subtle but really interesting when they put the candles down um and then you see the um, students at the back and they walk forward to the candle and everyone had a candle i was like yes this is so interesting um and then, spoilers, they all blew them out. And then Marius had his candle. And I was like, okay, cool. And then he blew it out. And yes, I was like, but you've just totally broken agree. the rule of the game that you mm-hmm. set up with when someone, like, the light has gone out. I was like, but you haven't died. Yeah, I, and then I remember that... you <laughs> whispering to me. I was like, does that mean Marius is dead? <laughs> yeah, now? I was lost there. because Restaging I... Marius dies. Restaging. <laughs> <laughs> said the only one that survives to the end. I completely Not agree. Because I loved that bit. And then I was like, oh, hold on. Now I'm completely disconnected because now I'm confused as to why Marius has blown his out. Yeah, I yeah. completely agree. It was so beautiful and it was so well done. Also, did they steal that from you? Um, throwback to a lie. Oh my yeah. gosh. Uh, did you not think that when you saw it? I did I not. I am suing that show now. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, I completely agree. It was so poignant and it was so well done. And then I was the same, like, oh, wait, I'm confused now. Has Marius died? Or 
but yeah. I don't really know don't why did he rules. why yeah. did he blow well, I don't get that. I don't know. I don't, like I don't, health I don't. and safety. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a blackout afterwards. So I was like, maybe it was. Just oh, a, maybe yeah. Oh yeah, maybe. But also, um, also just the um the I don't even kind of think of the right word, but the um the <laughs> the look of Javert falling to his death. <laughs> oh no, that whole projection um, thing. Because I don't remember it. I don't. I don't know if either of you two want to remind me of what happened in the original staging, but I just remember it being like amazing watching Javert fall to his death in the... But this time, I was like... No. <laughs> what? No. Okay. I was like, especially watching Mary Poppins last week, I thought he was going to fly over the audience or something. I don't know. So it reminded me of two things. So the, in the, re- the original production, I remember watching this um, in third year. So like 2000... When did I graduate? 2018? Maybe? Um, yeah. 2018. Um, and when Javert died, it was it's the revolve and he kind of spins and he kind of lifts his hands up and goes like, ah, <laughs> and it like, is like really Wicked cringe. Witch, like dying, yeah. Very cringe. And I was like, hmm, interesting, because they had the bridge and I was like, this is interesting. He was like standing in front. I was like, maybe there's going to be like a trap door or something. And then I was like, okay, I don't even mind that he like floated. But the bridge should have gone up so it looked like he was falling yeah. away from the bridge. But the bridge went out. Yeah. So I was like... The projections just... did. did are we going to talk about the projections? Let's talk about the projections because we need to make another PSA about projections I just, now. No. Um, <laughs> before we go into depth, I am sick of projections. I, just <laughs> I am so bored. Um, also, I don't... Okay, I don't mind a projection if it is in the right yeah. style of the show. When I saw Mean Girls... However many faults Mean Girls had it is anyways, I was like, okay, perfect projection works. It's all about yeah. the social media age and uh, this kind of Hansen. postmodern world. Dear Evan Hansen, perfect. Les Mis, yeah. I don't want to see projections no. of Les Mis. Uh, yes, okay, when you're telling me the time and the date, because obviously that helps story-wise. Yeah. That is the only time I want to see it, though. And it was really annoying because I remember seeing the things at the start and looking at those backgrounds and thinking they were painted fabrics and they were lighting them really cle- cleverly from the back. And I was like wow this is incredible design until there was a a scene and then you saw the The picture picture like literally move and i was like oh it's a projection i was just like oh i'm just so taken out of that world because yes okay these i think the projections were based on art pieces of that time anyways but um which was clever but still it's a projection and i don't want to see him moving literally through a sewer with a projection behind him it just it takes me out of that style and that beautiful design that they have you know uh, it felt really pantomime i thought yes um because especially especially like the barricade the set it's so good and it's so grand and it's so well done and then to just in the second half pop up a projection like it's like you said like hold on have we run out of budget like Mm. this is really lazy and i'm completely disconnected i don't believe he's in a sewer at all um uh, for me, I would have rather there had been no nothing than their projection. Yeah. If you're going to have a projection, I'd rather I was just going off the actual yeah. stage. But also, you are the biggest show on the West End at the minute. You have the most, yeah. the biggest reputation. In a way, it's sort of like just do better. Yeah. And I don't want to use that term as in it was a bad show, but you have some of the best creative teams working on this project. You ha- you c- yeah. you have no lack of resources. No. Uh, I don't know. I, I just it's just an easy way out. I think projection yeah. now, and I just I, I don't take away from people who do projections because I know it's extremely hard, and I think it's a really interesting uh, design element. But I think it needs to be used in the right time in the right place. And this show wasn't that show. It's not nineteenth century. 
Okay. <laughs> At all. I think, especially with a production like Les Mis, which is so realism it's like realism at it's heightened realism but it's still realism yeah and everything's real there was real fire real candles yeah nothing's halved no nothing's halved there's real bridges there's real stars don't know why there were stars but there were stars you know there's real children there's not adults playing children everything the costumes costumes and then there was some things i was like but that's not real and everything Mm. else just feels 3d and the projections were 2d and then when there was no food in the bowl during um master of the house i was like but there's no food in there and they have so many props like every single um purse and letter Mm -hmm. and like chicken and there was that Uh bird that that was all real and had the bird cage and it was so interesting but i was like there's nothing coming out i was like you're giving him an empty plate yeah surely there can be some sort of set design where it encompasses real props it's just details like that and i'm like why has no one thought of fixing that problem just because it's so it's just such a realistic piece mm. it's high, sorry heightened realism but still and then i think that maybe was in part why we then felt disconnected because you like you said you completely come out of it into they've got projections mm. it's digital i've seen this incredible set for the first half and and now there's a projection of the sewer um so maybe that also added to that feeling of I'm not connected to this. So I guess overall, with this restaging in inverted commas, um, do we feel like it is going to last the ages? And do we think it deserves still to be housed today? You know, like does, should Les Mis, which has been running for 25 years, over 25 years, still be around as a musical in our West End? You know, with all these other shows that get there two years and then they're done. It's always an interesting one. Um, I think it's important because I think it's a piece of history now. And there was like that retelling of the mousetrap, the fact that it's still going on. You're paying a ticket price to basically see a piece of history because mm. it's direction that isn't usually used anymore. That the staging of the mousetrap is very 2D. Everyone's in lines and everyone does yeah. very regimented staging and blocking. And it's like they're going through the motions. And that's why people have a lot of problems with how much the tickets are because you're paying basically to see stuff that just doesn't happen anymore in theatre. So I think it's interesting that it has lasted the ages and I think it will because I think people, it has such, it it can't reach Mm. every single person. So this legacy will continue going on and it's just one of those staples that tourists love. Mm. And because it isn't on Broadway um, and it isn't anywhere else in the world really, as big as it is in London, I know there's a lot of tours that are going on. I think it will just because of, it's just created such mass hysteria around the show however i would love to see a completely restaged production i think that would be so interesting do you think they're too scared to re to change it i think i think it is yeah i think i think as you're saying it is a piece of history now it is it's a staple yeah it's a staple and even just that image of that little corset being the poster with the flag i i just don't think you can change it no I'd love it to be changed, so and I think I. it'd be nice to see it kind of speak to us now. Because I don't think it really speaks to anything now. I think it's just a piece of musical theatre. I don't, I don't know whether it has any sort of resonance today. I don't know, maybe mm. the sort of class divide. Um, but I, yeah, I think 
it would be uproar if you were to change so it really dramatically and that's why i think they didn't go for a full restaging it was the same production just done a little bit differently and i think that the film has furthered that and cemented that even more because i do mm. think that a lot of people now go and watch it because of the film and yep. they expect to know the story they expect to recognize it they expect to know the the story they want to hear the iconic songs. They want to hear yeah. the iconic songs. They want to see those iconic images, like you said, about ca- of Cassette holding the flag. They don't want to see a new reinvented piece of theatre. Um, so I think that they... Are, I don't think it'll ever change. Yeah, this is a piece for the... I guess in a weird way, the world, you know? Yeah. Like, for those people that don't always go see theatre, like, they want to see this piece, not, yeah. not, I guess, the story and the meaning of it, you know? So I think we kind of have to take back as avid theatre watchers and go, you know what, maybe this is <laughs> this isn't our thing anymore. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a piece for the people coming to the West End, uh, tourists, all of that, mm. all of that shebang. Yeah. The um the production of West Side Story on Broadway. Oh God. Yeah. Who which have uh taken away the Ivan Ham Van Hoven, if you've ever heard of, probably not, but he's yeah. So the Broadway revival of West Side Story cuts I Feel Pretty and the Somewhere Ballet. <gasps> Um, and obviously there's been massive hysteria about this, about women, about how it's the female voice getting cut from the show. And it's the very first production that is not including the Jerome Robbins choreography. But although this is so controversial, I really want to see yeah, it. Yeah, me too. Because I'm like, what are you going to replace it with? What are you te- retelling? Because he's obviously done this for a reason. I mean, this Ivan Van Ho is an incredible director. So obviously he's trying to retell the story in a different way. I'm so interested by that revival, but I understand where everyone's coming from, especially in terms of like the feminism movement towards that voice being taken out. But I'm so interested. Yeah. You also have to be really precious about it. You know, like mm. it's like, I guess some, some people, they grew up with this musical, like also it's one of the, the biggest in the musical theater canon. You know, this is what really started that sort of style of storytelling in musical theater. So yeah. So we have three reviews. Um, so obviously these are reviews from the restaging and not from the original production because I ain't gonna look for newspapers. Um, so our first is a staple in our podcast, Mark Shenton. Hello, babe. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is from the 17th of January, 2020, and he gave it five stars. Now, Mark Shenton is very, he's a lover of new musical theatre, especially new British musical theatre. So I was quite surprised when I saw that he'd given this five stars. Um, obviously he notes about it's the original, you know, refurbishment to replace the original Lambach RSC production. Um, and apparently this is replaced with the touring version that was first created for the UK tour as part of its 21st century, 21st anniversary celebrations in 2010. Interesting. Oh. Um, Obviously, the first thing he does say is, the first thing about it is that it still owes a lot to the original Trevor Nunn and John Caird production. The famous revolve of John Napier's original design may have gone, but now the actors merely mime the identical movement. <laughs> it's identical. Oh my God, he pointed it out. Um, he talks about there's very serious veterans of the previous incarnation. Um, obviously, you know, it's like Carrie Hook Fletcher playing Eponine. Um, originally, now he's playing Fontaine. Um, and how they're fantastic. Um, but the show remains an ensemble effort as it was when it was created by Nunn and Caird. Now, this is a really interesting thing that he noted about being an ensemble effort because for one of the very first time, I mean, when we went to see Anne Juliet, the show, 
as you can listen back on the podcast, maybe wasn't the greatest, but I, as a performer, was like, I would love to be on the ensemble for that. It looks so much fun. The dancing is great. The staging is great. The costumes are fantastic. Whether this was the first time I've ever seen Les Mis and thought, you know, I mean, obviously, if they can offer me a part, I'm not going to fight now. But I wasn't like, I want to do it. I want to do it. Yeah. The ensemble definitely felt like an afterthought. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I disagree there. I mean, they are—they don't have such a prominence that maybe other ensembles do, but I think they still have a lot to do. They do a lot mm. of storytelling in their landscaping, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I know what you mean, Luce. It's kind of that thing of like they—they're in the background. You don't know who they are. No, um, but but they but they do have like really really interesting things that I they do in the background. But the again, boys, it's not. Yeah. The boys have a lot more meat mm. as ensemble. Um, the students have a lot more to own and a lot classic more classic musical theatre <laughs> absolutely classic 19th century yeah. <laughs> um, he also notes um, as a producer and a theatre owner Cameron McIntosh has always been about attention to detail the reopening of this theatre and show has given him an opportunity to prove his meticulous care in both um, he says, I love fresh new details, whether it be the reintroduction of the rear dress circle boxes, newly named in honour of Maggie Smith and Judy Dench, or new cast members like West End regular Josephina Gabriel, who was cast entirely against her sophisticated type as Madame Thenardier, is virtually unrecognisable and truly hilarious. Um, Mark Shenton sounds off this review with a very lol comment because i think he means it in all sincerity but it makes me lol he says the show remains a thrilling triumph here's to the next 35 years as it sets to become the mousetrap of musical theater but unlike that murder mystery there's hardly any mystery to why it's such an endearing success but i just think it should end with this hardly any mystery because we all know the show (laughs) um so yeah that was his review five stars then we have a four-star review from um, Alex Sersey, who writes for the Arts Desk. Now, the Arts Desk have written some very scathing reviews of some of the shows that we have recently <laughs> yeah. reviewed, um, and has also recently posted a one-star review of Pretty Woman. <laughs> so we will be looking at that when we come to review Pretty Woman. So the thing that um, Sersey re- really enjoys about this is the decluttered effect of this new staging. He notes that especially the brilliant sewer scene in the second half on video imagery, some of it inspired by Hugo's own impressionistic art. So it's obviously based off uh, Victor Hugo's own drawings throughout the novel. That doesn't convince me on the projections, I'm afraid. (laughs) Couldn't they have been like painted on the Yeah. Yeah. Um, Obviously, there was the BBC version of it that was aired a year ago now it was not a musical um and obviously he talks about how it's this one point valjean sacks uh sacks the doom fontaine and then takes up cosette and how it's you know it's great and everyone loves it okay so it says at the bottom it barely needs to be said that the picture of this musical paints the poor echoes sites that you can see on the streets every day so there's little point in denying its political punch it's one of those shows where you can just feel how much people want to pay tribute to its sense of social justice Mm. now two things political punch and tribute to its sense of social justice Hmm. (laughs) i definitely think that there are some shows in the west end that just go that little bit further yeah like really hard hitting about I don't know what are your thoughts about those two sentences political punch does this show have political punch um no 
But do you think that it would if it's the first time that you've seen it? Because obviously we know what it's... Maybe. We know I the story it's telling. We know what but it's trying to put. The problem is, is I just feel like Les Mis doesn't want to brand itself as a political show because it no. throws in so many other storylines. Like, it's about redemption, I think. Mm. And it's about, I don't know, like, sort of yeah, forbidden love and finding love in times of hardship and... Like it has this fantastic political storyline that goes I, underneath yeah. of with this French mm. Revolution, I but wouldn't say that's but the it's so commercial in the fact that I think the Jean Valjean versus Javert storyline, the Fontaine storyline, and obviously the the diabolical Marius and Cosette storyline, <laughs> uh, just overshadow that. You know, so I mean, yeah, it has its political elements. I, d- I just don't think that that's, that's enough. To that, that's what theme. I would leave going. Wow, what a fantastic political yeah. piece. You know. Um, he does say that Hugo's Roman Catholicism soaks the whole enterprise with a constant dew of guilt and redemption, which we just discussed yeah. about themes. And the finale, when the dead walk again with the living, is almost, if not quite, spoilt by the line about love being the only way to see the face of God. Interesting. That's his like critique. How maybe the end is like blurred with this whole Catholicism thing. Also, the bit when Javert, um, not Javert, Jean Valjean is greeted by. Co- <laughs> Fontaine, like, great, they knew each other. Empanine, why are you there, babe? Then he hugged the priest. I was like, yeah, that was too much. This is the point where I'm questioning my life and the fact that I've just sat for three hours. Um, they literally probably went back in the day. Was it Liz Salonga that originated? I don't even know who originated. Oh, no, it was Francis Ruffell. They are probably like, oh, um, Francis hasn't been on stage in a while. Um, why don't we just bring him in at the end? Yeah, that didn't make any sense to me. It didn't hold anything for me at all. I was like, they never met. Yeah. They literally never met. It should have been the Bishop and uh, Fontaine from the s- just those two. Not yeah. opening. There's my restaging number two. Just the Bishop at the end. Um... And then he says, but never mind, as the, f- as the anthem goes, march on, march on. Don't think those are lyrics from the show, but we'll go past that. <laughs> Were uh, you in the right show? <laughs> so we're going to move on to uh, uh, the last section of our podcast. So this is our awards now, Molly, which okay. is very prestigious. The Olivier's have just been announced, but who cares when you have got these awards? So the first one is Star of the Show. So this is someone that you believe uh, particularly stood out. Do you want to go first on this one, Molly? Oh, can I go first? But I have two, so I was kind of going to... Oh, uh, we don't really allow that on the podcast. <laughs> no, Jake can go for it. So I would have to say um, Gavroche really stole oh, the show I for me. Him. I thought he was mm-hmm. absolutely excellent. I don't know which one I saw. There's about six, I think. Um, well and they're not in the program, which is really sad. Um, but he was, yeah, he was just phenomenal. And the fact that he, I, he met me at the very back of the theatre, and the fact that I was missing that from the other characters, and I got that from the youngest in the show, um, really stood out to me. Um, I won't say my second one because one of you guys might take yeah. it. Um, I'm going to go with, sorry if I steal this from you, um, Eponine. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's just really, really cool um, to see diversity on stage. And I think it it adds a really interesting element to that particular story. Uh, Yeah, and I just think she has such a fantastic presence that, as you said, Molly, it it resonates at the back of the room. You know, you don't don't feel like she's just a little ant on stage. So yeah, mine's going to be for Shan Echo. Um, So my standout is Selen Chug-Jones, who played Babette. He was one of the students, and every time he came on stage, he just had such presence. He was like six foot, oh, really yeah. tall, really yeah, tall. I agree. And he was one of the ones I was like, "You are so invested. Like mm. you're really. I can see your intentions. I can see your objectives. I can see what you're playing in every single scene. And whether he, he appeared as the Jawas in at the end of the day." <laughs> <laughs> 
my dentist's showers. No, don't worry about it. I'm, not, I'm never going to get hired in this industry. No. Just go with it. No. <laughs> Whether he was dressed as um, a beggar man in at the end of the day or as one of the students, he just had great stage presence, and I love that from an ensemble member. Fantastic. All right, so our next one is our backstage hero. This is someone, uh, one of the creative team that you thought particularly stood out. I'll go first on this one. Um, I'm going to have to give it to the Claude Michael Schonberg, um, who is the uh, music and book writer. Um, I don't think we can, uh, well, I can't argue that the music in this is not incredible because no, it is well, you've absolutely taken that now, phenomenal. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I can't beat him really. Well, I am obviously going to give it to 59 Productions for the projection. Stop, <laughs> get joking. out. I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> I am joking. And I'm not poo-pooing the projections themselves. I'm poo-pooing the use of. Um, creatives, I think I would go with the lighting um, yeah. designer. I felt like the lighting was very cleverly used. And um, yeah, I felt like it really gave it the bits that I was maybe missing. It, it did give it that kind of emotive oomph. Mm. I'm going to go with Paul Constable, yeah. um, who was who a lighting designer, um, just because I feel like um, from seeing a couple of shows recently, um, I've really started to notice really great lighting. And when it just hit you like those yeah. um, the bullets, I just thought it was so interesting in the yeah. way that it still encapsulated the era and the form and everything. Um, but it's it was just so punchy. Punchy. Yeah. It's like. Yeah, it was punchy. And finally, it's our feathers. So these are uh, a rating system between one to five. One being the worst thing you've ever seen in your entire life. Oh. And five being um, the most incredible thing. Uh, okay. All right. If it was on the first act, it would be getting a one star. Because I can listen to the soundtrack at home. And you didn't see it. And I didn't see it. <laughs> I think overall, you know what? I have to give the show what it is. I'm going to give it... I'm actually going to give it four feathers. Um, I know I've been pretty much slagging it off this whole podcast, but it still is a fantastic show, and I think I was just being a bit of a moany... A moany... A moany <laughs> pauper. A moany pauper <laughs> because your... of my awful seats <laughs> in the your first seat. <laughs> act. And I did really, really enjoy the second act. Yes, it could be do a lot better, I think, because it is that thing. But I think that's just me being a bit of a cynical... A cynical little diva over here because mm, you know it's yeah. lame is and it, it should be the best of the best but yeah yeah i'm gonna give it four you deserve it so um i would i'm gonna i'm i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it three and a half i would give it four to recommend to a friend i'd be like go see them it is like if you've never seen theater before yeah. but don't buy bad seats but then also would i want to want to make them pay that much money yeah like, that's the thing because they're really expensive to sit in the good seats so, Not even the good seats, just the seats you can see what's happening. I know. So I don't know. It's like more of a, a toss-up between value for money or yeah. like a theatrical experience. Because I do feel like when I first saw this production, you're just wowed by the music. You're wowed about yeah. everything. It's just so different. And also it is very different to a lot of the very modern contemporary shows that are very set in the 21st century. There's this piece of like really historical fiction, theatre, theatre. So okay, I'm going to go 3.75. I'm going to give it four because I think if you just look at it as a show, it's phenomenal. The music is amazing and it is such a good piece of musical theatre. I just wasn't as wowed as I was expecting to be, so I can't give it five. It just, but I, there's a lot of factors that could come into that, but yeah, I'd give it four. 
feathers. Amazing. Well, uh, thank you very much for listening to uh, this episode of the podcast. Um, you can subscribe to us on uh, Spotify, um, Anchor and iTunes. Um, uh, also, thank you very much for Molly for joining us on the podcast this week. It was very interesting to have you. Thank um, do you, you want to tell us where me. people can... Uh, can follow your performers in mind yes so we are on instagram at performers in mind and we also have a website um, which is performers in mind.com i think it might be .co.uk i'm really sorry jesse um and we're also on twitter as performers in mind as well um you can follow me on instagram at antoine xoxo um or you can follow me on twitter um at anton underwood you can also follow our production company we've got some exciting things coming up in the next couple of weeks um, at Taximan Prod um, on Twitter or Taximan Productions Instagram. Um, you can find me on Instagram, um, Lucy Helen Performing Arts. And finally, we are going to be ending on our clues for uh, next two weeks' as episode. I so, love this bit. Uh, I have been very obscure this You've week with, obscure. with what I'm going to do for this next episode. So, here you go, guys. Are you ready? Uh, for those of you that don't know, it's uh, all the answers relate to the show that we're seeing next time. So, question number one. An acapella teen starred alongside a paperboy in this movie's, in this musical's movie adaption. Number two. This number may be unlucky for some, but was in fact a hit production for this show's writer. Number three. Columbus is the capital of the state that one of the characters of this show spent their summer in. That is so obscure. So obscure. But those who know will know. Uh, but anyways, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast this week. Um, and we look forward to uh, speaking to you in the next episode. Bye, guys. Bye.